This is the Odd Father podcast with Chris Matthews and Pete Court. Hello again, Pastor Chris Matthews, the man who loves God but uh, also finds him rather confusing, I believe. Indeed, and uh, welcome to you, Dr. Pete Course. Let's do some deep diving into some bafflement and enigmas. It has been the season to be jolly, depending on which uh, store you've been singing along in, but it's also been the season uh, of peace, unless, of course, you're in the Middle East. They yet have worked that out? No. So, question is, I want to ask you, what, what is the meaning of peace? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like your comment about the Middle East. It's sort of, it's one of those things <laughs> where you, you suddenly discover that the cradle of civilization is full mm. of poop. <laughs> the cradle needs its nappy changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Um, I it, wonder, sorry, just before you move on, though, I wonder if that's part of the reason why. I wonder the fact that the Middle East, that region that is once again in flames at Christmas time, is in flames at Christmas time because it's the cradle of peace. Yeah, well, I guess another way of looking at that is this. it's full of a multitude of peoples mm. whose definition of peace is different. Mm. And uh, I think that's the thing. Our understanding of peace is not always everybody else's understanding. Mm. I mean, sometimes we just want peace and quiet. Um, but the actual measure of how we understand peace is what we're prepared to do to get that peace and quiet. Ooh, is that peace? Mm. Uh, I, I, sometimes okay, they're okay. not very peaceful uh, remedies that we employ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so peace is a matter of who has the smartest weapons. Uh, yes, or the biggest armies or the biggest stick, as it were, yeah. to say this is a stick of peace and I'm going to beat you all with it. Yeah. So we, we've seen over the course of doing this podcast and, in fact, over the course of existence that uh, words get translated, they get bent out of shape. Uh, also, over the thousands of years that the Bible has existed, the meanings have drifted. And one of the, the things that I, I notice as an author and as a teacher of writing is that the, the meaning of words shifts, it mm. drifts over time. Peace is probably one of those words that very much the meaning of it, I mean, as we've just began, yeah. um, it has shifted. What what was peace when, when you know, Jesus said, I've come to to bring peace. Why, why, he's the prince of peace. Uh, that's, that's his name. You know, it's on his T-shirt. Well, what does that mean? I thought Messiah was on his T-shirt. <laughs> I've been looking at the wrong T-shirts. Um, I think it, it's, it's one of those uh, derivative things. I mean, mm. God is love. Yep. And that, I think that's another word like peace that the meaning has shifted dramatically. Mm. Um, and for God, I think peace and love are a process they have to start inside of us. Um, and I think it's the outworking of what's inside. If we have peace inside of us, if we are at peace with who we are, what we have, uh, what God's plan is for us, how we relate to other people, the peace that we have inside works outside. Right. And so, for instance, two people who are peace have peace on the inside mm. will interact Quite different ways, I think, that people, two people who have conflict on the inside and yet on the outside declare that they both want peace. Right. Uh, because I think that's where you, <clears throat> you get the whole idea of, you know, extend the hand of friendship and the opposition ducks because they're used to the hand that smacks them yeah. across the head. Yeah. Um, and so I think with, with God, I think God always works from the inside out. Mm. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's, it's a, a common saying, especially 
in church where, where we accept people coming into our, our churches who are broken, mm. sometimes beaten, uh, some uh, very often just beaten down mm. by society. Um, or by other churches. Or, yeah. Um, just put that out there. Just quietly. <coughs> um, uh, but the catchphrase that we have is hurt people, hurt, hurt people. people. Yeah, yeah. And so the question is not to get a lot of hurt people to make peace with each other. You've actually got to help them accept the peace of God for themselves. For themselves. Yeah. And then yeah. you can move on. Yeah. I, mean, I, I know this is sorry, this is one of the things that I, I know um, from the counseling world too that uh, um, having closure is a myth. Mm. You, you don't necessarily, like, for example, if I have a, a broken relationship with someone in my family, I have to accept that that may never be unbroken, but I can still have peace on my side of that relationship and, ex- as you say, yeah. extend that hand. And if they don't accept it, it's okay. I still have to be able to have peace. Yes. Um, and so finding that peace in myself is what's that? Um, well, I, <laughs> You had that look on your face that says, please don't ask me what that means. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I'm not exactly sh- Well, uh, God, You're allowed to say I don't know. Well, I don't know, but I, yeah. I have some pointers. Okay. In that, in okay. That Paul talks about that. He says, you know, as it is up to you, mm. live at peace with all men. Yeah. And he then doesn't say he doesn't by s- doing this yeah. or looking like that. But I, I think the, the thing about the peace that we're supposed to have is quite anti – what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. the normal thing is that if, if we have a broken relationship, we take on some of that hurt and therefore we resent the other person. Right. I, I think right. – Peace is peace is not forgetting what has happened. Yeah. A lot of people say forgive and forget. Yeah, uh, terrible thing to say. Yeah, forgive yes, forget. It's like sitting on top of a mountaintop and having somebody say, for the next three hours, do not think of the word elephant. Yeah, and they're just going to think about elephants. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and harmful. Yeah, um, but I think it's a question of accepting that if we do whatever we can mm. to make that right, and it isn't. Then we have to let that go, yep. and we have to have a peace about that. Yep. I, I remember when I got divorced and everything was broken and smashed up into pieces, and I just wanted to rage and rage and rage and rage. I learned very quickly, and managed to come to terms very quickly with that, and actually had written up on my cupboard at home, "Be grace." And for me, I think that was how I found peace and got into the habit of being at peace, was by having grace. And I must admit there's somebody in my life whom I love very much who I find somewhat graceless when she's driving and people pull in front of her. And I think just even in that instant though, you lose your peace because you stop being gracious. You know, you stop feeling being grace and not just having grace but actually embodying it. Yes, and, uh, and it's, interest, it's interesting how quickly that rises up in people. Yeah. Not that I've ever had that experience myself, of course, and probably <laughs> neither of you. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it seems to come from nowhere yeah, uh, and overtake drivers. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that sort of personal rage thing. All right, well, let me – so so peace is something within us. Peace is in us. So in a, in a war – we talk about war and peace. We talk about trying to have peace. We try to talk about bringing peace to the Middle East. Um, that's not the peace of the Bible, is it? No. So what they're trying to do in Israel, Palestine, all of that – that is not trying to bring peace. It's trying to reduce conflict, isn't it? Yes. And it's very much a political 
mm. um, war. Yeah. I mean, people uh, will attribute uh, religion mm-hmm. and faith to it, but it's not actually a, a war of faiths. It's a war of politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and land and wealth mm. uh, and geographic position, all, all and these And who things. has the right to decide. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think faith is and religion is thrown in as a as an emotive, you know, look, it's, mm. it's them against them. Well, again, I think actually, yeah, as you say that, I think faith and your religious belief is a marvellous motivator for war. Mm. If you're going to send somebody off to war, then you need to give them good reason to kill another human being. Yes. And faith and religion can be so vitally important to who we are as individuals that that is a good motivator. Yeah. Well, no, uh, not well, a good motivator, it is a useful motivator. Um I mean, in some ways, I think that, you know, the conditioning that armed forces use on their soldiers yeah. is to remove uh, as much of that emotive mm. um, content from their their lives as possible, so mm. that they don't. In fact, they don't think no. they're trained to go through a certain set of motions mm. in combat, which doesn't require um, value judgments mm. whatsoever. That's a Western thing, though. I think you'll find that's a very Western. Thing and certainly in 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 for example uh, the Crusades the, the the Christian Crusaders were told that you are going to kill these people because they are the infidel and they are the Satan and yes. of course you hear the same language from uh, the the recent Gulf War um, that that America is the great Satan yeah so the, the the visceral power of a religious enemy is very very much still involved yeah I think the the, the American troops can't do that anymore. Yeah, I, don't think I, think, that... I think there's a lot of that that's more media-driven than frontline-driven. Possibly, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. the people doing the actual fighting probably don't – most of that goes over the trenches, as it okay. were. Okay. Uh, I think that's the back room. That's to get crowd support. Yeah, um, sell bonds and yeah, yeah, get the um, public support. And to try and convince the rest okay. of the world that what you're doing is right. Maybe, maybe. So um, let me put this to you then. If you are in the middle of the Middle East at the moment and you are at war, can you have peace? In that place, in that war. Well, yes, and I think uh, it was a movie, and we all know that movies, you know, don't tell, tell the whole story. But Hacksaw Ridge, <laughs> oh yeah, I yeah, think yeah. is a great example of somebody who had peace in the middle. They accepted that they were in a war zone, that they could die at any moment, mm. but they refused to carry a weapon or mm. to harm any other human being, and were prepared to die for their beliefs. But not prepared to kill for them. Which but is not prepared to kill. Yeah. And I think if you can have that sort of trust in God and faith, then mm. the, the, there's got to be a peace in there. And it, and I think, and again, it was a movie, but the, I love that scene where they're at the bottom and the general rings them up and says, "Why the heck haven't you attacked?" And uh, he said, "Oh, we're all we're all waiting for um, d- uh, Dos." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, "What the hell are you waiting him for him for?" And he says, "Oh, well, he, he hasn't finished praying." Yeah, and so the whole army is sitting there at the bottom, waiting for him to finish praying. Yeah, because there was some he had a peace about yeah. it, and they trusted that peace that he had. It wasn't going to stop them getting killed. Yeah, but there's something in that that peace that he had. I think yeah. which the interesting thing about the movie Hacksaw Ridge, and for those of you who haven't seen it, go see it mm. before dinner. It's quite grueling, but he didn't just have peace. He didn't just have faith. He actually acted it and mm. literally put his life on the line yes. for that peace, didn't he? Definitely, and I think that's. That, I think, is an example of true peace in that there's, there's a, a, a rest inside of you that doesn't depend on the um, mm. uh, 
unique circumstances or yeah. the consequences of your actions. All right, let me throw a curly question at you to wrap up. Okay, so peace is not the opposite of war. It's something within us that we can have even in a state of when the world is falling apart. And I have to say, even in, in a relationship breakup, you can have peace even though the world is falling apart around you. Uh, and that's maybe a conversation for another time. But can we have peace, do you think, and not have joy? Now we're getting to another mm. definition here, but I think we talk about peace and joy. They seem to come in the same package. Yeah. Um, I think we've, we've got to avoid running into the uh, often very common Christian principle of finding simple solutions to very complex questions. Because <laughs> uh, I, th- I think your comment about finding peace in the middle of a relationship breakdown, mm. um, we don't necessarily have peace about everything in our lives all no. at once. Mm-hmm. And I think while we're going through a trauma which might not be peaceful, there can be other areas of our lives mm. in which that peace can rule. Mm. We may be struggling to have it rule with that particular problem, mm. um, but I think there's like, it's like a battery backup. You know, mm. you, this, this get, peace gets drained away from that part of your life, but you've got reserves yeah. to slowly bring peace back. And I think joy... You can still experience the joy of a walk in the park, mm. even though your life is upside down. Mm. Uh, you can enjoy um, watching a movie or, or having a meal or something. Uh, so I think, uh, rather than sort of ask the question, you know, can we have a blanket joy and a blanket peace together? <laughs> I think there, unless joy has completely left our lives, mm. I think there are always places in our life where we can have joy and peace. Mm. Uh, I think we can even have joy without peace. Um, Mm. But Mm. peace without joy, I think peace opens the floodgates to a lot of things Mm. and I think joy but not necessarily – I don't think even though that we experience joy and peace in a certain area Mm. that when we think then of the the area of our life that's gone to pieces – that that automatically brings the joy into that area. Yeah, it takes it's, a lot of work. It's interesting, and, and yeah, and, I, and I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know what the answer is to this. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't ask the question. Um, but I think it, it's. I've noticed interestingly enough in in my own family and, and friends of mine who are basically on the last the last lap, if you like, or very close to no longer being with us um, because of terminal conditions. Mm. Like mum's got cancer, and yet she just seems to be ever more full of joy. It's like nothing else is working but I'm more and more and I think it's a deliberate choice to be joyful. Mm. And it's like, well, nothing else is working and she's she's very much in that state at the moment. She has to hobble around and she's in a lot of pain all the time and the choice then is to be really ticked off or to to override it, to deliberately choose to be joyful. Like the way to peace is to be grace. Hmm. I think that perhaps there is a there is a volunteerism in joy. We can choose to be joyful. Definitely, and and I think people reach a, a, a time in their lives when there's nothing left to lose, and I think that's a place where you, you either bemoan everything you've lost, yeah. or you determine that what what's gone is actually worthwhile, and that <sighs> you you have a joy in w- what your life has led you to. And maybe that's what maybe that and yeah, if you've got nothing left to lose. 
all you have is what you choose. Oh, look, that rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if, 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 you have, if you have everything, then you have everything to lose. And this, mm. is, this is the rich young ruler in the Bible, the guy who's got all his money and, and he says, what else do I have to do? And Jesus goes, just give away everything you've got. And he goes, okay, I, oh, gee, I don't know. Because he's mm. got so much to lose and yet forgets that because of that he actually has everything to gain. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think this pod, well, I don't know and I, I, I wouldn't like to, to sort of second guess it, but at some point in people's lives mm-hmm. I think, and some earlier, uh, I guess when there is no terminal threat to their life, suddenly mm-hmm. recognise that there's nothing left to lose. I, I, I know yeah. already the consumerism that I suffered with in my 40s mm. has faded completely in mm. that, you know, there was always something I wanted for my birthday or for Christmas when I was 40. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And these days it's a question of, oh, well, I don't, I don't think I need anything. There's, yeah. there's very little that I, I desire yeah. to acquire unless it has a, um, a function mm. of some sort, something that I can do. And that often leads into something I can do for people. Yeah. And then it becomes something which isn't important for you to have. It's useful for you to have so that you can actually do something yeah. for somebody else. So it changes the whole consumerism so your, idea. your choice of what you need for joy is actually based on what you need for others. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, That's cool. For me, in That's the, cool. at least, it's become an age thing. Hopefully other people have perhaps learned that before. I show you have joy because you're old. Oh, that's something to look forward to. Yes, well, why not, I say. So, what do you reckon? We'd love to hear what your questions might be and what sort of answers you came up with. So you can email us, podcast at theoddfather.net or you can jump onto the web, theoddfather.net and check all the socials there and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for your time and keep asking those questions.